Welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire. The show where normally I am in the hot seat, Christian is posing all of the interesting facts. But here, again, we are flipping the script, and I will be presenting the hot takes, and Christian will be reacting. summary of things happening in the world we got some more things more than 170 countries agree to extend the nuclear non-proliferation treaty indefinitely and without condition to prevent the spread of nuclear weapons seems like a big deal i'm assuming russia was not on that list i'm assuming north korea wasn't on that list either okay so 170 countries right it's, it sounds like a big deal but like there's some notable exceptions i wonder what country there gotta be some countries on there that didn't even have they're like yeah yeah, we won't. We're gonna. We're we're world peace. Don't even don't even have nuclear power. So that's I mean, thing, sure. if everyone else is doing it, and you you want to be you want to be cool part with your history. friends, yeah, you want to be part of history or not, friendo. There you go. I can just see you just see some of those little tiny countries going. Yeah, us too. All right. Comet Hale-Bopp is discovered and becomes visible to the naked eye nearly a year later. So I guess it was discovered in 95, it sounds like. But I think I remember this news of this. Like, I was pretty young, but I think I remember hearing about Comet Sighting. We might have even gone to see it, honestly, because that's how my parents were. The name sounds familiar, but I got nothing. Yeah. Former NFL running back, broadcaster, and actor O.J. Simpson found not guilty of murder of Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman in Los Angeles, 95. California. 95. And this was a, a year-long um, trial, right? Or six months to a year. Yeah, it was very, very long. Very long. I remember, I remember uh, watching the car chase on TV when uh, when he mm. ran from the police in that white Bronco. I right. was, the I was there. Infamous white Bronco. And then our last event: the centennial of the Canadian Mounties' presence in Canada's Yukon Territory. They did it. Hundred years, years of mounted police. In that, wow, these man, that's pretty impressive. How long they were policing, like, you know, like had an organized police, not not mm-hmm. like a sheriff in a town. No, this was like the entire country was like, OK, Canadian you guys... Mounties. Nice. All right. All right. So where are we? Oh, 95. I am. I am. Uh, was it second year of high school? Maybe first year of high school. I am going to a high school that's very far from where I live because my mother wants me to have a good education and a better chance at, uh, at success. I am not thinking about college. I am not thinking about any of those things. I am having a good time with my friends, ditching classes, going to the local park on uh, 3rd and Fairfax, going to the, uh, the Grove is there now, but it wasn't there before. It was just an empty parking lot. But yeah, no, uh, 95 was a, was a good, good year to be a teenager in LA. Definitely. Nice. Uh, I uh, turned seven in 95, and I am living uh, my best life at that age. Uh, plenty of outdoors, uh, nearly an acre uh, to roam uh, in Ranch Cucamonga, living with the grandparents. I've, I play outside a lot. It's, it's just good to be a kid. I'm not, worried. I'm not worried about anything, I'm pretty sure, which is, is interesting to think back on. I mean, I think my biggest concerns were like, will I get to go hang out with my cousins next week? And boy, that takes forever to get here kind of a thing. You know, that uh I feel like if you weren't having that as your priorities in life, I think yeah, your parents were doing something wrong. So, exactly. So good Especially on good on them to have uh given you that, but bad on them for have taken away pop culture from you. <laughs> and on to All the right, show. Let's get, let's get to the pop culture. So movies. Let's start with movies. Okay, yes, so yes. I did a lot of the easy hit you know, I, I did some easy picks before. I think I found some interesting ones this time and, and a little bit of interesting information to go with them. So we're gonna start off with Desperado. Ooh man, that was a good film. Robert Rodriguez's big hit. Now, Technically, it's the sequel to El Mariachi, his Mexican yes. independent film that he did. But this one was Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek. And it was a, a really, really good movie. That's, like you, that's where like you see style. Style, a yeah. Triumph of style. Yeah, like Robert Rodriguez's style is is like born or at least it's presented at the... or Mainstream. Or yeah, mainstream. Or, or he has the budget to be able to... St- 
just to you know to showcase the style that he had in mind yeah no fantastic movie uh so good still holds up and you got uh danny trejo right yes yeah the uh, the apparently present in all universes oh uh, with his appearance all robert rodriguez universe yeah danny <laughs> well, trejo. well and everywhere else too he just made his appearance in the book of boba fett which i haven't seen yet but he did but i haven't seen that episode either yeah he uh he is part of the Star Wars universe now, which I'm very happy to see. That's crazy. Um, Desperado, I don't remember if I got to see these in the correct order or not. Like, I don't remember if I if I introed with El Mariachi or... But, again, I can credit um, my buddy for introducing me, much like Jackie Chan. Like, I, I recall he we watched this because he knew about it, enthralled. The movie grossed a total of $25 uh, million. Not a heavy hitter on, on the list, um, it did have uh, it won one award and had five nominations. Now that's just broad category. That's not Academy. That's not Oscar specific. This is just I didn't want to get into all the nitty gritty, but it had a little bit of recognition at the time. And but it definitely holds up over time. And uh, yeah, no, I was gonna say even though it made only twenty five million, which uh, well for ninety five standards, I feel like that was a lot of money. But for most blockbuster standards, it's not a lot of money. But when you think about the budget of the film, it was an indie film, technically indie. Yeah. So it was about seven, five to seven million for the budget on that film, if I remember. I think that, uh, you know, I think that that kind of guarantees his success, right? When you can when you can almost triple their money, even if it is at twenty five million. Yeah, no, he definitely uh, did more with less. I almost included their budgets, but it got a little bit silly for some of the main yeah, no, no. movies. So that's the most notable one is that he definitely turned. It's profitable because he spent so little on it. And Where some of these guys, and even when 60 you million. yeah, I was gonna say even when you say like so little, it's like seven million. Jesus, I mean it's not sixty million, you know. Okay, our our next movie. Speaking of sixty million, I think this is the one I I might be quoting. Um, Goldeneye. Oh, uh, Pierce Bronson's. I think that was the best one of his. Well, no, damn it. He had a lot of good ones, but that was a very good one. GoldenEye. I think what GoldenEye had too backing it was the the, the GoldenEye video game. Uh, yes, that, that's what I think I, I solidified it. Yeah, I think that, that, that. And that was on the GameCube, right? No, no, no. No, that was, that was the, on the 64. N6- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember my brothers and I would play the hell out of that, dude. And again, did. it was just the the one on one, the well, the four on four, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I remember the movie was good, uh, but I don't remember more than like it, it. The game definitely takes more of my memory, and I think maybe that's the that's part of the success of the movie, right? Also, I think I feel I like think so. I feel like most Bond movies, any year they come out, they're gonna do well, huh? Pretty much, yeah. The the franchise is I, I is solid. I think they know it's gonna cash in worldwide, especially. So the interesting note there is that. Let's see. Uh, domestic was 106 million. Worldwide was 352 million. Holy cow! So, international fans, like they know that's gonna slam dunk internationally. Man, that's impressive. Yeah, and so for it, it got nominated for two BAFTA Film Awards, um, two wins, and eight nominations total. Okay. So you know, it's a Bond movie. It's gonna get some some notice. Yeah, it will. I agree. Next up, we have Jumanji. OG Jumanji. Nice. Uh, I saw that again in the last two years. Uh, it it's still a fun movie. Uh, you know the special effects. I think obviously aren't aren't what they used to be. They were revolutionary at the time. Industrial Light and Magic. That's actually the one thing. So I didn't get to see it until many years later. Uh-huh. But I had Star Wars Insider magazine. I was a subscriber. <laughs> of course you. Of course. <laughs> and they got a feature article about Industrial Light and Magic's work on the cgi for that which again at the time was amazing yeah no it was a fun movie and i'm telling you re-watching it recently still holds up it's still a fun movie um david allen greer's in it um you know of course robin williams yeah, does an excellent job being robin williams um let's see here so that one is another one 100 million domestic 262 worldwide so wow. pretty big that's all pretty robin williams too huh? i'm sure all right, and then the uh, the last one we're going to talk about today, which I had to put because uh, I think we'll both have a lot of info about it. Oh yeah, real quick, awards for it. It um it had four wins and eleven nominations, so Jumanji did decently well there too in terms of yeah some recognition. That is. Lastly, here the Usual Suspects. Oof, Kaiser Souza, man. <laughs> 
So I, yeah, I watched that movie, dude. I think the year it came out, I don't think I went, or did I see it in the theater? Because I know my friends and I in high school, I mean, just fell head over heels over how good that movie was. It was a great plot twist at the end, but rewatching it, then you give so much more credit to the actors. But yeah, you know, unfortunately, it was Kevin Spacey. It was one of his best performances. But you had Kevin Polak, um, Stephen Baldwin. I think one of Benicio del Toro's big first roles, the second lead with with uh, Kevin Spacey, Gabriel Burns. Gabriel Burns. There you go. Yeah, they had Giancarlo Esposito as well. Yeah, he was the he was the messenger for Kaiser. But yeah, no, it was a that that is a phenomenal movie. I rewatched it. Wow, I keep saying this. Like in the last two years, I watched that movie again. <laughs> you up. live in '95, apparently. It holds up, man. It's a really, really good movie, and it has a it has a great pace. It builds the storylines that it needs to build. It doesn't veer away from the main characters. Um, yeah, no, uh, fantastic. And again, it it created a, a a style of like movie. I think to a certain extent, like you know that that plot twist at the end has been copied so many times at, since. But they were like, well, I think one of the first that did it did it so well. It's a great film. All right, so that's where we're at for for movies. That one, so for awards, right? Usual Suspects won two Oscars. It had thirty award wins and uh, seventeen nominations. Jesus. So can I guess Best Picture, Best Director? Ooh, that's a good question. Let me let me get the specifics here. I'm gonna say Best Picture at least. Had had to be right. Yeah, at least Best Picture. I don't know if it would have gone to an actor, but maybe director. Okay, well, we're, we're wrong. Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Kevin Spacey. Oh, And shoot. Best Writing Screenplay written directly for the screen, Christopher McQuarrie. Wow. Those so, are the Oscars it won. Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Writing. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I wanted to look up look him up because, like, again, I, I didn't um, I didn't realize he had gotten a, an Oscar for that. But he, he wrote a qu- quite a few good movies. The Way of the Gun was another movie that I really liked, hit, written by him uh, with... Uh, Benicio del Toro and Ryan Philippi. He wrote Valkyrie, which starred Tom Cruise. He did um, Edge of Tomorrow, which is actually a pretty good movie. Uh, Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation, Fallout, and he he wrote the screenplay for the new Top Gun. Oh damn! Yeah, no, that dude is a uh, pretty good, well deserved. All right, um, that movie also. So the Usual Suspects got twenty three million gross worldwide. 23 million? Yes. So it was was it an independent film? You know, I think it had to be. Let me look up. Isn't it funny how this Desperado and that movie both around 6-7 million dollars both made, you know, tripled their clients' money. If you look at um like GoldenEye was like budgeted at like 60 million and worldwide 350, so yes, uh, undeniably successful, but like, you know, you're not looking at a ton more terms of multiplication than these guys did just a huge budget for the movie yeah no that's that's awesome that's a really good year for indie films technically yeah nice uh all right so moving on to popular tv shows without repeats we have babylon 5 okay which ran from 93 to 98 so we're, we're smack in the middle of of its run probably a good time to be a babylon 5 fan not something i've ever watched no nah, me neither i remember it but i i was uh i was not not watching that one i think that that is one of the sci-fi shows that you definitely hear about and like there's fans and, and continued interest in that universe. But like I could never get into it. Like I missed the boat on it. Yeah, I agree. For another popular TV show, we have Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh, fantastic. And I mean, we talked about Drew Carey's show in the mm-hmm. last episode. So, yeah, it makes sense because I think that really gave that show some weight. It ran from 1988 to 1998. Uh, it was a good show, man. But somehow they kept that show fresh, uh, and those you know Wayne Brady, Ryan Styles, and them they they were doing phenomenal work on that show. With so little like, right prop, and it's it's funny like because I remember I did not see it in its time, but later I I think I saw a lot of reruns of it on television. I don't know which channel would play it, but I saw a lot of it, and and it's surprisingly entertaining for such little. <laughs> like there's just them standing there doing you know coming up with their stuff like it yeah, always I, impressed me they're impromptu i imagine the the budget on that was pretty low <laughs> probably it had to be right they're doing they're doing like mad tv without any props yeah and, and with hardly any preparation all right so we have some a couple of these i picked just because we're tv shows that ended okay okay 
based on the name alone, I had to pick this one, and I don't know if we'll have any information about it, but here, you ready for this? Ready. Tattooed Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. Why does that sound familiar? But at the same time, how was that ever made? Okay. That Googling now. That, go on. Keep talking. I'm going to give you your synopsis. It jumped off the page. So Tattooed Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. That's a mouthful. Is an American children's television series produced by DIC Entertainment. It aired on USA Cartoon Express, a kid's block on the USA Network from 94 to 95. Reruns of the show later aired during Cookie Jar Tunes back on this TV from 2011 to 2012. The series is about four teens who are picked by an alien to fight off monsters while also finding the time to overcome problems at school. Dude, what the... I'm looking at the images for this. What the hell was this? <laughs> Holy cow. Insane. How sad that this ended. Insane. What is this? I'm looking... Dude, these pictures look... Very scary. Amazing. Yeah. I'm, I would I would be curious to know what the tattoo part was. But no, no, go on. Jesus. Right? It's not as... It's it's interesting that that's, that was a feature part of the name. I also wonder how much Beverly Hills... Like, that just had to be where they lived, which... Yeah, would, and would I'm really looking at the... Color uh, their school problems. I'm looking at the picture that, that they had for, for, you know, PR. None of them have tattoos. Right. Yeah. An interesting point. Interesting, indeed. So yeah, I I just had to pull that based on the name. That ended in '95. It also sad, started sad. in '95, I think. '94, <laughs> so probably it's probably oh, okay. aired initially. Yeah, <laughs> it did not. It did not have a a, a long run. I, I, it's I, funny that they brought it back in 2011 for the rerun. I feel like just the name alone would have been like a no, no, we're good, thank you. Yeah, what a, what a wild time to be on television. And by looking at the picture too, it was definitely like um. You know, a mix between American Gladiators and uh, Morphin <laughs> Power Rangers, honestly. So that had to be it, right? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They saw Power Rangers oh, and they yeah. said, what For can sure. we do? And they just were not good at naming things. Not at all. Jeez. Tattooed. I don't understand it. Teenage. Okay. Alien. I get how it comes in. Beverly Hills, I assume, is where they were. So I mean, a little bit, like three out of five for accuracy. Well, well think about it. Then they were getting, they were getting um, uh, American Gladiators. That they were getting Power Rangers, and they were getting uh, Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. I go. mean, because those guys are like, oh, it must be this must be the natural, <laughs> the spiritual successor. <laughs> Another show ending in ninety five, The Pink Panther, an animated TV series. Oh, okay, I. I don't remember a reboot of that. I, I was still watching the 1960s one. <laughs> it only had two seasons. Um, it, it went from September 93 to August uh, 95. Okay. All but, right. uh, yeah, I, I, I only have a passing familiarity with it as just a cartoon character, personally. But I, probably from the original run as well, honestly. Yeah. So I, I, here's, one, here's one that I picked for me because I'm familiar with this one. Shining Time Station. It's another PBS show. So Shining Time Station is is um, is Thomas the Tank Engine, right? Yes, it incorporates it. Yeah. So okay. Okay. I do remember that from PBS. Okay. So here's the here's the setup for this. After the success of Thomas and Friends in the United Kingdom, uh, Britt Alcroft and her production company teamed up with PBS station WNET in New York to produce and distribute a sitcom esque show, Shining Time Station every episode of which would include a couple of episodes of Thomas and Friends. The interesting thing here, which I didn't realize until I read this, but now I can picture it, and of course that's who it was. The series starred Ringo Starr yeah, and Ringo. George Carlin. Yeah, as... they, they both did it. Yeah. And didn't uh, didn't Alec Baldwin eventually take over as host? Or, or as that, as that Ooh, character? Not in the original run. I don't oh, think okay. he was not listed. Maybe, did they reboot it, possibly? Maybe, but I thought I remember seeing him do it too. But yeah, George Carlin and Ringo Starr, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! And now, now that they were pictured, I can now that it mentioned. Oh, like, now you see it exactly. Like I, so I watched a ton of this. Right, this was in that block of shows I would watch on PBS, and I'm like, holy, you know, that's probably my first introduction to Ringo Starr and George Carlin as at the tender young age. So, um, it had three seasons, and it ended in 1995. Okay, Ringo uh had left to continue doing musical things and that's why george carlin was brought in interestingly to be the character the conductor that is uh well i mean you know surprisingly though i mean he still tours with his ringo all-star so it's not like he was not doing it you know 
Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I kind of wonder if the commitment ended up being more like because it continued for several seasons and not just one. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he had to get back to music. Here's one that I thought maybe you'd be familiar with that ended. Yo MTV Raps. Oh, of course I watched Yo MTV Raps with, uh, <laughs> with uh, who was it? Flavor? No, no. Um, no, hang on. It's, uh, something Love. Um, something Love. What was his name? Uh, something Love and Big Boy, if I remember. But no, it was a, it was a great uh, TV show to showcase um, rap on MTV, which was, you know, especially early 90s rap was starting to really take off on the radio and uh and this was like it was like it was like mtv had a show at night called 120 minutes where they would play like hard rock and alternative at night with uh matt pinfield i want to say was his name and so this was their version for rap basically because it was catching on enough where they're like we gotta acknowledge and give it its own block it was a two-hour television music program, first aired uh, MTV Europe from 1987 to the mid-90s, and on MTV US from August 1988 to August 1995. So quite the run. Does it say who the, who the hosts were? Presented by Fab Five Freddy, Ed Lover, Dr. Dre. Ed Lover, Freddy. there you go. <laughs> That's whoever. And it's, it's Dr. Dre, but not the Dr. Dre we know. Dr. Dre, another guy named Dr. Dre. And it's funny because Ed Lover and Dr. Dre ended up doing like uh, Method Man, Red Man stuff where they started doing movies as the, as themselves in movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's always fun. Oh, man, I hadn't thought about it. Those two characters in a minute, dude. There you go. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. TV shows starting in 1995. Goosebumps. Oh, okay. I remember, I, again, I was a fan of the, of, the, of the books when I was in elementary school. And when the show came out, I definitely gave it a shot. And it lived up to it, but it was very PG-13. The books were a little bit scarier than the than the TV show. Yeah, so this is another one of those things that I was prohibited from, both the books and the and, and the uh, show. The but all weird. of my friends of, of an age are all familiar with all of it. And I saw them. I remember seeing the covers of the books. I'm, I, I have vivid memories. We went to the bookstore a lot. Those wings were always front and center for a young adult. Those were a big deal in that era. Yeah, I mean, your mother just saw the devil in all of them, I imagine. It just, it's scary stuff. My kids don't need that. No, they don't. And they're, I'm sure it's the supernatural element. All right. Uh, Dragon Ball. It ended? in any? No, it started. 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 We moved on to started. Yes. Oh. You know? And I thought I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't mention no, it. No, you know what's funny, dude? Like, I know too much about Dragon Ball. But I never caught on when it was showing... One thing that annoyed the hell out of me out of that show is that they would drag on a fight in like three episodes. Yeah. That just irked me because the story was not moving along. And yeah, you saw these dudes powering up and doing these amazing things. But I'm like, I cannot spend two episodes watching two guys fight. (laughs) I needed stuff to move. Like I was watching like Ronin Samurais instead of that. I was watching other things. But Dragon Ball Z just never caught on because it was I I felt like it was so slow and I wasn't committing enough time to it. So this is not something this is a show that I didn't watch in real time. I've often thought I should go back. I have friends who were super into it at the time. This is probably a show that is better in retrospect because you can just watch through whatever you want. Oh, yeah. I imagine it's much more enjoyable because that would also uh, annoy me. I, I know certain shows like certain anime specifically that would were better at the art where they would if they were going to continue a fight they would end on some kind of cliffhanger and it that's would make a two-parter but otherwise you kind of want to self-contained yeah i never got into it though, but i know it, i mean everybody and their mothers like knows it you know the show ran from 95 to 03 wow so that's thanks in part to those multi-fight episodes i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> padding out the runtime all right here's one uh i'm curious to hear your input on uh Mr. Show with Bob and David. Bob uh, Odenfalk? What's the same? Odenkirk. Odenkirk, right? Uh, Famously now for Better Call Saul. And David Cross, was it? Yep. Yeah, I remember. So I I didn't watch the show when it came out, but I watched it years later. Uh, Yeah, no, it was a great show. And you forget that, you know, Paul was a, a comedian before joining Breaking Bad and then branching out into Better Call Saul and then his latest uh, Mr. Nobody. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I never watched it, but I have. I watch. I mean, I didn't watch it when I when it came out, but I watched it in the in the two thousands. I think. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun, but I I I, I never revisited. It. Uh, yeah, it's funny because I recognize Bob Odenkirk from his more modern roles personally, and uh, David Cross from uh, Arrested Development. Is oh yeah. I, yeah. Uh, so he was one of the uh, never nudes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, it's it's interesting to look at people's earlier origins when you didn't get to follow them from it. You know, I, I hadn't seen the show. I still haven't seen the show, but it, it, it's it, an interesting peek looking at some of the uh, info about it. Okay, so our last uh, TV show that started in 95, uh, Pinky and the Brain. I know we've mentioned them before. We I think in the 98 episode is when they finished. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, no, you know what? So I was a big fan of the Animaniacs. I thought that was a, a ridiculously good show. They, uh, Pinky and the Brain, were standouts in that show. Whenever, you know, because it was Animaniacs and, it, and they would have their hijinks and every so often they would allow other characters to have little spotlights. And I would always look forward to their little seven-minute snippet. They were so good. It was such a great show. My favorite was always the whole, like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And then, you know, Pinky would come up with the, like... I don't think they make spandex pants our size. And you're like, what the, what's he talking the about? Most, the most un, unrelated thing. Oh, yeah. No, it was such a it was such a funny snippet that when they got their own show, I was all in. It was such a great show. It really was a good show. So I, I know I mentioned it before, but I did get to see some of this in real time. This was one of those my dad, if he was watching us, mm. would put it on. Um, and it must have been at that point when we were uh, we would be visiting him. And there would be, if there was a lack of supervision from my mother, he might let us see Pinky in the Brain, which we thought was hilarious, of course, as any child would of that age. But that was something that we wouldn't have been allowed to see. But thanks, Dad. I did get to see some of Pinky in the Brain and appreciate it. Nice. All right. Let's move on to our uh, notable deaths in 95. Well, so I got to tell you, man, we the ones we've talked about so far, there was a lot of deaths in 95. So I'm curious. People just won't stop dying. I'm curious who else um, we lost. If I was better at producing this, I would have included this in the previous episode because, of course, <laughs> it ties in. And I, I, I had already filled up, and my process is not refined yet. But um, we're going to start with uh, Easy E. Oh, we did talk about. <laughs> we well, you brought him up because with of bone our, thugs, yeah, music, yep, yeah, and that's why they produced it. And of course, my lack of of knowledge across genres meant that I included him here already and did not include him there, but. Yeah, no, a pioneer in 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 rap music, but not just rap music, but the the um the popularity of gangster rap was due to the fact that you know Public Enemy was doing a lot of uh, political rap, and then N.W.A. came, and it was Dr. Dre, Yellow Boy, or DJ Yellow, Ice Cube, and Easy four guys from Compton who started rapping about the streets about drug deals, about killing people, about the police and everything like that. You know, it 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 really lit a fire under everybody's butts about about rap and what was what was out there and also what was really happening in the communities and stuff like that. But what happened was that when NWA broke up, Easy E was honestly a very smart businessman. He kind of kept contracts on everybody when he when he when he formed NWA he kept contracts on, on a lot of these individuals to the point where Dr. Dre's first album was actually produced by Eazy and he was getting paid based on the chronic success, which became one of the greatest rap albums of all time. And then in NWA, he wasn't even the best rapper or even like the best writer for the group. Like Ice Cube was doing a lot of the writing for the group. They had to kind of teach him how to rap because he actually came from the streets. He was a drug dealer. He was a pimp. He was like 16 years old, dude, when he's when he was like joining NWA, but driving a 1964, you know, Chevy Impala like the dude ran the streets like he he like backed up the things that he said. So that's the credibility that NWA had. So when they split up, you know, it started, you know, gangster rap became about beefing like Dr. Dre was 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 saying diss tracks about Easy Easy was saying them about Dr. Dre. To this day, one of the greatest diss songs of all time is No Vaseline by Ice Cube. Basically, what happened is when NWA split up, Eazy-E decided to say some shit about Ice Cube. So in Ice Cube's album, he's like, just went ham, dude. One of the, I'm telling you, we talked about making a playlist for you. That's one of the songs yeah. that's going to be on there. All right. 
And you can Looking hear some of it. the best writing and rapping in, I mean, in history, I think. Ice Cube is a phenomenal writer and a phenomenal rapper, and he killed it. But yeah, but that started that, that flow. And you think about what happened after that, right? So The Chronic comes out. We get introduced to Snoop Dogg through The Chronic uh, with Dr. Dre. And then Snoop Dogg does Doggy Style, the album that blows up LBC. I mean, it was the beginning of a lot of things. And, and Easy e was at the epicenter of it all, you know? Uh, incredible, incredible uh, impact to, to music, to culture. Uh, the people that he inspired, the people that rapped because of him, amazing. Unfortunately, he was a man who lived the life that he rapped about. Died young. Died young, um, you know, and he was actually a, a person who died from AIDS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the age of 31. Yeah. And at the height of his success, technically, you know, like he was still doing fairly well. But yeah, no, I, I, again, to this day, I still listen to NWA. I still listen to Eazy, you know, and Dr. Dre and all those things. And I, I love late 80s, early 90s rap. It's some of the best stuff. I often wonder, like, even if I'm not personally familiar with that, I've seen someone who, who left that kind of legacy wondering what they would have thought. And they died young, right? So, like, a lot of people, when they get older, they think about what impact and what am I leaving behind. But you're probably not thinking about that at the age of 31, you know? You got to wonder what these kind of people would feel about people that are still like the influence is still felt and and they are still their voice is still heard to this day. Yeah. And there's people that are that that young people like I, I'm I'm pretty sure Nipsey Hussle and I know the game like still credit easy as, you know, some of the, the heaviest influences they had. But again, if you're from Compton, if you're from L.A., when you reference somebody local, you reference Eazy E and Dr. Dre and the Chronic, because Tupac represented LA, and I love Tupac. You know, he he really like repped LA towards the end of his career, but he started out out of Oakland. You know, he was a, a Bay Area rapper before he became the gangster rapper in LA. Uh, but when you think about you know what he was doing in '92, by the time you know he came on the scene, uh, Eazy E and N.W.A. had already like pioneered and you know cleared the path for everybody else to come through. And it was all because of, of like somebody like Easy E who put this group together and basically, you know, did really well. I mean, these are the guys dude, that made like wearing Raiders and, um, you know, Kings jerseys like gangster because it was black and silver and black and white. It was the basic colors, you know, like the reason why the Kings used those colors was because of the popularity that the Raiders colors were doing for gangster rap and what these guys were rocking. It was it's Smart insane. marketing. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Snoop is still real big for the Kings. Like he does a lot of the and the Lakers ceremony. Like he's he's very involved to this day. Like last season, he did he had some big opening thing for the Kings. I remember seeing. Yeah, man, those colors are. I'm telling you, like I I will I will I will be 40 years out of LA and I'll still represent LA. Like if like if I was still there, it's one of those things that it's like, it's like Raider Nation, dude. Once you become a Raider fan, like you follow them wherever the hell they go. And for me, it's it's that like I still have my black on black. I was about to say starter, but they don't they don't do this anymore. But, you know, my, my baseball cap for L.A. <laughs> but since we're talking about the 90s, it was starters. Starter hats were like the thing. Now it's like the 50-50s, right? <laughs> it is. Next up, Peter Grant, who was Led Zeppelin's manager. Oh, OK. In 95. I wonder. Hopefully, just natural causes, right? <laughs> nothing, nothing controversial. You know what? I have no, look. yeah, no I airplane do have Controversial stuff. Heart attack. Okay, it's fine. So, I mean, you know, you hang out with Led Zeppelin, it. you might not get a heart attack. It's age sixty. Oh, it's a good age. So, it's a good age. Not real old, but but not young either. But old in rock and roll years, though. Rock and roll years, he's like Led oh, Zeppelin okay. years. You're like eighty. <laughs> Just putting it out For there. sure. Um, this one jumped off because of the circumstance to me. I have not heard of Madeline Murray O'Hare, who's an activist, murdered September oh. of 95. She was born in 1919, uh, killed along with other family members, successfully fought racism and mandatory school prayer in the 50s and 60s. Murdered, though. Yeah, with her family. So this was a hit. Yeah. Interesting. And I think... I think I've read about her because of the whole um, prayer at school thing. I think uh, I remember. Yeah, yeah. She she founded the American Atheists. I think I remember seeing a documentary about that, but I don't remember her specifically. Okay. 
Oh, interesting. I wonder. So, th- do you know like why she was murdered? Was the person ever captured? Uh, so, kidnapping and murder on August twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five. O'Hare and her son John Garth Murray and her granddaughter Robin Murray O'Hare disappeared from their home and office. A typewritten note was attached to the locked office door saying, "The Murray O'Hare family has been called out of town on an emergency basis. We do not know how long we will be gone at the time of writing this memo." When police entered the home, it looked as if they had left suddenly. The trio said in phone calls that they were on business in San Antonio, Texas. Garth Murray ordered 600,000 worth of gold coins from the San Antonio jeweler, jeweler, but took delivery of only 400,000. Until September 27th, American Atheist employees received several phone calls from Robin and John, but neither explained why they had left or when they would return. Employees reported their voices sounded strained and disturbed. After September 28th, no further communication came from any of the three. American Atheist was facing serious financial problems because of the withdrawal of funds and membership dwindled in the face of an apparent scandal. There was speculation that the trio had disappeared in order to conceal its assets or avoid being contacted by creditors. Ultimately, the investigation focuses on David Roland uh, Waters, an ex-felon with a violent history who had worked for them. Earlier in the year, he pled guilty to stealing $54,000 from the organization. Okay, so See, so I wasn't ahead, a documentary. See. It was a movie, The Most Hated Woman in America. Oh. Yeah, Melissa Leo was in it. It, uh, Yeah, that's why I was like, this sounds so familiar. But yeah, I saw this yeah. movie last year um, about that. She was a, she was an amazing woman, dude. She really was. The way she fought for, for the rights and, and for... Separation of church and Yeah, state. it was impressive. And yes, I remember like the story about... Um, the kidnapping and the death at the end. Yeah, the most hated yeah. woman in America. I think it was called um, with Melissa Leo. Yeah, I know it was a good movie. And it's, crazy. And that's crazy. That happened in '95. Oh, God. yeah. Uh, our next death, uh, Wolfman Jack, DJ. Wolfman Jack. Okay, that name sounds familiar. And I'm trying to think what radio show he would have been on or was he one of those pirate radio guys from the 60s or 70s famous for his gravelly voice he credited it for his success saying it's it's kept meat and potatoes on the table for years for for the wolf man and wolf woman (laughs) a couple of shots of whiskey helps it i've got that nice raspy sound okay started his recording career in minneapolis while working for kuxl radio in 1965 with george garrett who helped record the album Boogie with the Wolfman by Wolfman Jack and the Wolf Pack. All right. Our last death, and the circumstance jumped off here for me. It was, it was, it was a little bit ironic. So Sergei Grinkov, who is an Olympic skater, okay. he died of a heart attack while skating. I'm going to guess doping was involved in this. <laughs> well, I mean, given the name. Uh, let's take a peek. Let's see. He was He was only 28. Oh, that Let's is see. young. There had to be, right? There had to be some more stuff. Um, on November 20th, 1995, Grinkov collapsed and died from a massive heart attack in Lake Placid, New York, while he and Gordiva were practicing for the upcoming 1995-96 Stars on Ice tour. Doctors found that Grinkov had severely clogged coronary arteries to the point where his arterial opening was reportedly the size of a pinhole, which caused the heart attack. Later testing revealed he also had a genetic risk factor linked for premature heart attack. The risk factor is called PLA2 variant and known as the Grinkov risk factor. He was 28 years old, his wife was 24, and their daughter was three. Oh, no. Dang. So maybe it was just genetics. I guess so. they don't say. At such a young age. Well, now I almost feel bad for saying my comment about the dumb. <laughs> <laughs> we still don't know, I suppose. You know, mm-hmm. just because you have the genetic factor, something had to clog it so much. I mean, maybe just how hard he was pushing himself. Yeah. Could have been one of those people, you know, that just trained he, really hard. He died while skating. Died doing what he loved. Yeah. That actually makes sense. Uh, on to music news. Yes. Looking forward to so, this. So, our first bit here is the Beatles release Free as a Bird, their first single in 30 years in an accompaniment to the Anthology Volume 1 set. I remember this. This was the one where they had the audio of John Lennon and everything, and they, they did the um, the composition for it, and they released it when they did that Green Apple, I remember, box set thing that came out. But, uh, yeah, I remember it was Six like... Our a, anthology, yeah. Yeah, it was... Series. It was a, uh, it was, it was a great song, and it was like just interesting to hear a new Beatles song that sounded just like the old Beatles song. Yeah, right. I remember this. Yeah, this was fun. This was, it was cool. 
you know, I, I think this is around the time that um, this is around the time that Michael Jackson sold the the Beatles um, catalog, right? And like made like nine or something million dollars off of it after buying it from from underneath uh, Paul McCartney's nose for like a million. So the story the story was that in the eighties, uh, Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson did a did a couple songs together, and Paul McCartney had talked to him about music publishing that he should get into it because there's a lot of money and that he was looking forward to buying the rights the publishing rights to the Beatles and I guess uh, Michael Jackson kind of like joked about like ah you know I'm gonna beat you to it and apparently he went and took the deal from him and I think that you know had a bit of a, uh, a falling out between the two of them and then you know like I think a decade later or something like that uh, Michael Jackson resold it and made like just bank on it you know that's funny yeah so i imagine this made michael jackson a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> all right other music news so reformed bands a couple of bands reformed this year mm. uh the misfits and oh. journey okay i was never a misfits fan but I, I i remember the look and i remember the um you know like the stage personas and stuff like that and the you know the infamous skull logo it's just the logo yeah. which just looks the most persistent yeah and journey i i think like i knew two songs and remember this was like with the original singer songs with the original singer before like the you know the new guy took over yeah so yeah i mean i think everybody knows like what the don't stop believing and like the wheels on the on the wheels keep turning wheel in the sky yeah wheels on the sky keeps turning (laughs) everybody yeah yeah everybody knows that one (laughs) So the, the Misfits, I got to see them last year. Okay. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting show. That, I mean, you can't, at this point, you, you got to say they show, it shows the age shows and the voice a little bit, but like they still put on a show. It was still, it was still uh, very entertaining. And it's crazy that they, they reformed in 95 and I saw them in, you know, <laughs> 2021. <laughs> That's incredible. Speaking of bands getting together, a band formed called Godsmack. Godsmack, dude! That first album was really good. I remember the song "Whatever." Uh, when it came on the radio, I was like, "Wow, this is a really good song." I bought the album. Like, actually, the whole first album was was really good. The second album was okay, and then they kind of started to drop off. But um, yeah, decent band. But no, it was a, it was a good. Again, that first album was really good. I remember liking it a lot, and I, and I, the fact that I still remember the song. Uh, whatever and voodoo i think was like the last song on the on the voodoo, album. yeah yeah it was a good it was a good record and again for it like it sounded exactly like 1995 you know it's it, yeah yeah it was very much that year that type of music and i think they never really branched out of it and i think they kind of got stuck in making that same music so by 2000 i think they were they were not relevant oh, here's religious views for our boy sully uh erna was a practicing wiccan early in his career okay i knew there was some some religion he was following okay his spirituality influences some of his songwriting including the song spiral from their second album awake and releasing the demons from their third album faceless he has stated publicly however that he didn't want to be the poster boy for witchcraft he has also said that he does not follow any specific religion i'm just a spiritual human person i believe in karma and things like that but religion is an ugly word to me yeah, yeah, I think he was also okay. very close friends with Chris Angel, the magician. I don't know why I know that, but I do. There you go. Um, yeah, no, I. Uh, they released. Uh, hang on, where was that stat here? It said their first. Their band released three consecutive number one albums. Oh wow! So uh, Face, awake faceless, and faceless, faceless, uh, four and the oracle. Oh, it's not even the first two. Mm-mm. Oh, interesting. I would have thought Awake would have at least made it, but Faceless, wow. The band also has 25 top 10 rock radio hits, including 18 songs in the top five. Jesus. So massively successful. Right? Oh, wow. Maybe I'm just not giving them the credit they deserve. Yeah, no, that's... uh, I remember listening to them, those first few albums, a lot, and then dropping off, like not really listening to much from them going forward. I think after Faceless, I was like, ah, these sound the same. But apparently that's when they were getting good. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> if we'd only know <laughs> our next bit of music news uh tupac shakur become begins serving a prison sentence on sexual assault charges a few weeks later his album me against the world was released and hit top of the charts making him the first artist to have a number one album while in prison 
<laughs> I mean, I, I was gonna say something else, but I'm all like, yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that's the only thing you can say about it. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting bit of, of news. I think we talked about uh, his album in the first episode, and so that's an interesting book ending in here. Yeah, because I when we were, was it me against the world that we talked about, or we talked about yeah, wasn't it all eyes on me? Our, our first on our first episode, we had me against the world was the album. Because it released in in ninety five. Oh, okay. Because I, I for some reason I thought we were we had talked about the other one. No, yeah, but this I think is, it came up. Yeah, I think it was me talk. I think it was me confusing the two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is the album that had Dear Mama and um and so many tears that I remember that yeah. was that was a good one. Okay, so this uh, so he was in so he went to prison after releasing this album. Well, I mean, yeah, after producing it, because then he went to prison, and then a few weeks later the album dropped. Gotcha, and top the charts so fantastic busy, busy period yeah no no good good for him the last one here i picked strictly for the name so the band sparkle horse definitely they released the album this is all with no spaces this is all a single word so uh hold on a second viva dixie submarine transmission pilot no spaces okay i feel like i this would have been crazy enough to have hit my radar in 95 but tell me more Okay, so it's the debut studio album by American indie rock outfit Sparkle Horse, released in August 95. The album was largely recorded with musicians from Cracker, for which Mark Linkus worked at the time as a guitar tech, roadie, and sometimes collaborator. I remember the band Cracker. Yep. I, I certainly hadn't heard of Sparkle Horse, although it's hilarious enough that it, I feel like I should have. Like Linkus, Lowry had also recently moved to Richmond. Lowry was in the process of forming a new band called Cracker and opening up his Sound of Music recording studio where production for Viva Dixie would later take place. I don't know anything about this, but I feel like I'm going to have to try to listen to something. Yeah, later. I'm going to have to listen to it too. It also makes me want to listen to Cracker again. That They had that one song, um, Low, that was fucking a great song, dude. Fantastic song. Okay. <laughs> That's our music news. All right, so on to tech and toys. Mm -hmm. uh, heavy on the tech this time around. I need to make a correction because one of our listeners uh, from the previous episode mentioned this. Oh. Yes. Uh, to our listener, Richard. He said, hey, uh, did you just say that Sonic the Hedgehog came out in 95? So he wanted to make sure that, because I think we were talking and, and there was a bit of confusion. But yes, Sonic the Hedgehog, the video game, came out in 1991. We were talking about like one of the iterations of the game, I think. A 95. specific iteration, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so just, just so we're clear, we you, there was just a lot of talking and some confusion. Sorry about that, Richard. But uh, 91, Sonic the Hedgehog came out. Thank you. Now we can... The character, yes. his, his, his uh, introduction, yes. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about uh, the MQ-1 Predator drone is introduced and put into action by the United States Air Force and CIA. Again, I, I learned about the Predator drone in the early 2000s. Never was aware of it in the 90s. Uh-huh. And that's when it launched, actually. Um, widely used in Afghanistan and Pakistani tribal areas against Al-Qaeda forces yeah. and Taliban militants starting after September 11th, 2001. Oh, yeah. Uh, the unmanned aerial, unmanned aerial vehicles were equipped with cameras, reconnaissance, and could be upgraded to carry missiles. Yeah, no. I would I, not have guessed 95. Me neither. I'm telling you, I, I thought it, it came out in the early 2000s because of how early 2000s. prevalent it that's was. That's yeah. when the public became aware. Yeah, that's actually true. Flying around predator drones. <laughs> I had to bombs. double check. I literally had to like triple check that 95 was the actual launch because I didn't want to be in And I was like, no shit, it is. Yeah. Okay. On July 14th, 1995, Carl Heinz uh, Brandenburg sent an email announcing that the MP3 file extension had won a poll and announced that the old .bit file extension should no longer be used. 95 is when they created MP3? Well, it's when it won a poll and was announced that the old .bit, so it became, it became the standard. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, wow. They were talking about that in 95, and then... Yeah. It, it like the rest of the world does not know about it till the late nineties, early two thousands, huh? That's crazy. Interesting. Dude. Yeah. Huh? Now it's the only thing you talk about. <laughs> right? That's that's the standard. You that know? is like, the yeah, standard. Yeah, you can like, get higher audio fidelity. Uh, I forget what those extensions are. 
uh, and B3 is still the main That's incredible, dude. That's awesome. All right, so here's something I'm familiar with. Uh, Command and Conquer was released by Westwood Studios. Nice, I remember that August game. August 31st, 95. I did One not... of the earliest real-time strategy games. I did not play that game until the 2000s, though. But uh, but I'm I was aware Same. of it. I was aware of it in the 2000s. But I I had I did not know it went back to 95. Oh, okay, cool. Released on multiple platforms, including PC, Mac, PlayStation, Nintendo 64, and Sega Saturn. Yeah, because I do remember Command and Conquer were very popular games in the in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I got into it in the in the 2000s. The resurgence of it Red, was Alert, Red Alert, right? Yes, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, Red Alert was what got me into it, and then I had to go back and look. Yeah, my intro to um rts games was age of the age of empire series personally oh okay which was later but like it's crazy that this is what spawned kind of what really launched that genre yeah and it released on so many platforms i can't imagine nintendo 64 command and conquer yeah never yeah. heard of it the, the the red alert that i played was on on pc they didn't yep. even know that it was available on consoles our final bit for tech and toys and it's funny this showed up in in that list of deaths i had that had uh humorous some humorous and tongue-in-cheek references calvin and Hobbes ended and i didn't know where else to put this but no thank you for putting it it is it is as you know my favorite comic strip. as you can see it's tattooed on we my arm it is my favorite comic strip of all time i it's one of the the best best i i, I don't i don't i don't even know how to describe it but it's it is it brings me joy it makes me sad it makes me think you know it makes me wish that i have a son that is in just a little bit like calvin in some some crazy stupid fantastical way uh, i the want at the very least i want yeah sure. i want my own little calvin uh, that that is a, a phenomenal comic strip you know what the funny thing about it though right um what's his name uh bill weatherson bill Matherson? yeah bill watterson watterson right I saw a great documentary about him because he's still alive and he owns a hundred percent of, of um, sure Calvin and Hobbes and he refuses to give licensing for any, any fucking merchandising whatsoever, None. dude. And so part of me is like, and go. he became reclusive and didn't want to do book signings because people were selling them. Like he, he used to do stuff like that and then realized that people were just getting his signature to then go sell the book on eBay or something for a ton. And was like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, like part of me is like, thank you for, for not, you know, the integrity of his, of his art. That he cares about nothing, so much. Not the integrity, but like, you know, that that was something personal to him to, because I know it would, I, I mean, if, if, if I created something that, that amazing and so personal to me, to then see, you know, some company fucking use it on a goddamn, uh, you know, a pog or something. <laughs> Pogs, what a ridiculous thing. Passion orange guava. No, but Don't uh, forget. But you know, like to to see to to give the rights and then have somebody just slander the whole fucking thing by using it as some stupid just as whatever as whatever like, you know. Like as, if someone were gonna take it and put it pissing on the the Ford logo. Yes, the exactly. Logo, you know, some who shit would even like dare? that. Who would even dare? Uh, so part of me is like good for him, but then part of me is like, fuck, dude, I want the merchandise. I want to have a shelf am, full of fucking Calvin and Hobbes comics, you know, uh, not comics, but like well. merchandise. And look, yeah. I have the this I got maybe seven years ago, but like the full set. Um, yeah, the anthology. It's three books, about 50 fucking pounds in a, in a beautiful uh, box set, dude. It is the most gorgeous thing I have. Um, again, it weighs like 50 to 60 pounds and I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah. No. Uh, it's one of the things I brought with me here. <laughs> it no, that's for sure. You know, but it is, it is my, by far my favorite comic strip of all time. And again, like I, I own it. I put it on my, on, you know, I put it on, on my body. It's, uh, it's, and, and it was on for, was it, uh, 20 years, I think. Yeah. 85 or i'm sorry yeah 1985 yeah 95 20 years yeah no um again like i'm glad that that he he kept the integrity of it uh, a little satin that we'd never got because you know what's funny dude for as many terrible things that they've done to the peanuts i love that the 3d animated movie that they made a couple years ago to see them come to life like that where they read where fan you know like a fan of it actually tried to make a real movie you know I thought it was so well done. 
you know, seeing uh, Into the Spider-Verse, like that type of animation and art style, I'm like, can you just... That for Spaceman Spiff. You know, can you give somebody who you trust just just a little bit, just a little bit, so they let him run with it and then have complete control over it and say, fuck it, no, I'm not releasing it, or yes, I'm happy with this. This lives up to the integrity of my of my work. Release it to the world. Something, you know. But what I'm afraid is going to happen is he's going to pass away and whoever takes over his estate is going to just... Immediately. Yeah, just set the whole fucking barn on fire and then we're going to be just inundated with like Calvin and Hobbes stuff. Or or it's going to go on so long that it'll, people will have lost interest and it won't become a thing, which, again, I'm, I'm fine with. If this turns into like yeah. if this turns into like Tintin, I'd be I'm OK with it. You know, if if like um, uh, it was a Steven Spielberg decides to make the movie, I would be OK with it. And it's and, it, and not a lot of people know it. Fantastic. But I've always wanted a cabin and have merchandise do like legal merchandise, trademark as merchandise. a kid. So one of the books at the bookstore, I always would want to get anytime they were on sale. Cause I remember like, uh, they would have those stickers. They'd be marked down. There'd be a sale. I own three or four Calvin and Hobbes collection books. And anytime I got one of those, I was stoked and was reading the thing the whole way home. I'd oh, take yeah. them on road trips to read. Like anytime there was going to be, I have them. They're still in my stuff somewhere. It got packed up, but like, uh, those I always loved, and I, I I would have absolutely gone nuts for a Calvin and Hobbes merch, and and they and they didn't exist. Yeah, and I'm telling, I used to read the the I used to read the paper just for the comic section to be able to pull that off, dude. It was fantastic, like the the Sunday you know colors spread. Oh, man, that's a good one. That's a good one. It's a good way to end yeah. this. Yeah. So you put it you put it in the right place, Gabe. Thank you. Celebrity gossip. We have the uh, Clinton uh, scandal. Uh, oh, conflict. was this the, the Monica Lewinsky was in 95? Yes. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I was I, I was well aware when this one happened. <laughs> I was in, in politics because this was... So remember, Bill Clinton was my president because it was when I became aware of politics. Yep. Bill Clinton was my president for my entire teens. Like from, from when the number turned to 13 to when it stopped being 19, he was my president. Yeah. You know, and he was the dude on T like who spoke incredibly well, who had some of the best um, skits uh, on SNL. Thanks to him with Phil Hartman, <laughs> who who like made the, the saxophone cool again somehow. You know, like it was him. And then the Monica Lewinsky thing, you were like, damn. And I remember, dude, I remember this, the the the, the television, the media, the. I did not have sexual relations, you know, like all of that, dude. I was I was there for all of that. It was, yeah. This one, this one, I remember quite a bit. My exposure, so I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, be become aware of politics until a bit later. And for me, Clinton was the boogeyman. He was like that. Ooh, that guy who did all these things and messed things up. Uh, of course, at you know, it, everything's way more nuanced than it was made out to be. Right. Um, but yeah, that was the big thing in '95. For there's your there's a big big scandal. That was a big one, dude. That was a big one. And it had repercussions way later because, of course, it was still something talked about when I started to you know years later be more you know become aware and be involved in polit- politics and political like that. There was reverberations of that still. Yeah, because he was impeached for that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of scandal, uh, Hugh Grant is caught soliciting a sex worker while dating Elizabeth Hurley. Somebody named Brown, right? Ooh, I didn't get the name. Uh, this is again. I was well aware of this happening at you. the time, but he was in L.A. if I recall, and decided to pick up a girl, and she ended up being a lady of the night, a professional worker, you might say. And yes, he was with Elizabeth Hurley, and you Divine were like Divine Brown, Divine Brown, Estella Marie Thompson, <laughs> and he was with Elizabeth, and everybody's like, "What the hell, Hugh Grant?" And you know what? He made a comeback. That man. He became America's he sweetheart all over again. And now he's like, you know, the distinguished old British guy in like the bad guy in, in cool movies. <laughs> he survived that. And she looks um, and Elizabeth Hurley looks amazing. She does. I think I'm sorry it happened to her because obviously that's just terrible. Almost as bad right. as as, you know, when Eddie Murphy did his thing. But hopefully we'll talk about him one day. But yeah, but I'm glad, you know, they both moved on and they had okay lives. But I remember that. That happened and I was like, it's crazy. 
crazy. Her last bit of sexcapade news is uh, uh, Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee's sex tape was stolen and leaked in 95. In 95? Why do I feel like we talked about this? So we talked about Baywatch, and we talked about Pamela Anderson and her fame and maintaining... Oh, and how it all came... They originated popularity. The, the sex tape. This they were the ones, the definition of the sex tape. They created the this, sex and tape. And this is when it happened, 95. Oh, okay. And this is... So, we yeah, we talked about this because like they also like divorced that year, too, huh? Yeah. If I recall. And I think like he was he was putting hands on her. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely remember this. Again, I, I, at the time, because this was still tapes, I did not see... An actual sex tape. I did not see the actual sex tape. I think, like, <laughs> when the internet became a thing in, like, late 90s, early 2000s, I think is when I actually saw it. But I think in the in the 95s, there was, like, snippets of it. Yeah. You know, like, magazines had, you know, had, like, screenshots and stuff like that. But uh, Back the, when that was a much more difficult proposition. To it maintain. was, it was. But I remember, like she, she blew. Like I don't think anybody knew who she was, and then everyone knew who she was. Because I think this was, yeah. this was like I think after her time on uh, on Home Improvement, right? Because she was on Home Improvement as one of the, um, one of the 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 showgirls in the show Tool Time, and before Baywatch, I think. So it was um, it was like a way for her her. I mean, it, it got, like it really ignited her career. It's unfortunate that that's happened a few times to different ladies in 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 television and movies, or in the media, but right. but uh, but no, but it definitely like you know, uh, and and she was she was able to capitalize on it in a very smart way, like she owned up to it and just took it and ran with it, and she's still relevant now. You know, it's crazy. So that was twenty five years ago. So she must be, because she was probably in her early twenties, mid twenties then. So she's probably cl- barely close to fifty now. I imagine that sounds about right. Wow. She's still good for her. No, because honestly, like she capitalized on it, like in the right way. I think she she's like the the right. She took a she took she took lemons and made lemonade. Oh, yeah, definitely. For sure. And and she didn't have the template to do it. She made the template on how to do that. That's true. Which has been followed since then. That's the part I think that's most fascinating is that there. I mean, I'm sure there was other types of things, but she was the that was the the first celebrity i think so sex tape scandal which maintains so. the name despite the changes of technology it is huh leaked sex tape. that's true huh wow what an Trend exciting better. year dude 95 wow <laughs> and again like it was a it was a good year because I, I i was fully aware of of a little bit of everything i was very in that year and and, and keeping up with a lot of things so all these things you're talking about are like they're so clear to me, you know, like, yeah. uh, like there were still, I, I, I was watching, um, the world according to Jeff Goldblum and they were talking about how great show, by the way, Jeff Goldblum is, is, uh, that's on a list for to watch. For it's me. a, yeah. he's a natural na- national treasure, national treasure, but they were talking about aging and they were talking about how time feels differently when you're older. And I think one, one of the guys that he was talking to gave a really good explanation. He said, if you think about it, he said the first seven to nine years of your life, you do so many new things that when you rethink your last year, you did so much. But because now everything is just repetition, there's nothing new. When you think of back on a year, you did not learn anything. You just lived the year. But if you compare it to your first nine years of your life, you learned so many things. So you will it so much but now as adults we're like you, your birthday comes and you're like man another year and i didn't accomplish anything no you lived you lived like you normally did but you just didn't learn anything new because you've learned everything potentially that you needed to survive up until that age so i thought it was an interesting thing so i feel like 95 maybe like you know those those two years before those two years after were were so they're so vivid in my in my memory because i was experiencing so many things and 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 still doing so many new things so everything that was associated with those things, they're still very vivid in my brain. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting perspective. And I think that lends some credence to things we've talked about where like you really have to make an effort to continue to learn and expose yourself because it stops happening in, in, in on its own. It does. Dude. It's crazy. Uh, you know, I'm looking at a skateboard right now that I started learning how to do in my 40s. I mean, hey, haven't broken anything yet. It's not too late. Knock on wood. 
Oh, fantastic. So next episode, I hope we are going to have something new. This was a great shift. So next episode, I'm, I'm shooting for something new. I'm trying to schedule some things and uh, it should be exciting. Um, but 95, I got to tell you, has been one of my favorite years so far. I thought 98 was a good year, but 95 is actually a fantastic year. I'm glad that you took it because it's been so much fun being the, the one that's being uh, reminded of all these amazing things and still have learned so many things. I learned a ton too. Having to look up some of this stuff, like I said, I it was it's very. I still I still was exposed to a lot of things that I wouldn't have otherwise. Fantastic! Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until next time. <laughs>